Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Olympic ratings are down quite a bit, although TV ratings are hard to figure out now because um, if you if you watch a, you know you watch a sport on your phone, it doesn't count, and um, I don't know, it's hard to figure out how many people actually watch stuff. I've watched less Olympics this time around than any Olympics since I was seven years old. Uh, I don't know if other people are the same, but the ratings are down quite a bit. Anyway, welcome to the program. Glad you're here. You picked a good moment to tune in because everybody likes Tim the Lawyer, we call him. Tim Sandifer. He's the vice president of litigation for the Goldwater Institute. He's written a number of fantastic books we'll mention at the end of this interview so that you can go buy them immediately. Tim, how you doing, dude? I'm just great. How are you doing? I'm all right. I know you're an anti-sports guy. Are you anti-Olympics? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm very much anti-Olympics. I cannot stand the idea that our athletes would compete uh, on a an equal footing with enslaved children from China, and that we would then lend the, the oppressive Chinese government, and this goes to other tyrannical governments also, the credibility of uh, that uh, that goes along with taking them as an equal. It's disgraceful, disgraceful to me to see these athletes, uh, uh, our athletes, got there and worked their their whole lives on, to pursue a dream on the same balance beam with children who are forced into virtual slavery by a totalitarian government overseas and and compelled to compete on pain of punishment, as if that's somehow the same thing. No, I think the Olympics should be abolished immediately. Wow, there you go, strong strong opinion from Tim Sandifer. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm shocked that this whole because the Olympics are supposed to be in China. Right after, you know, next year, winter 2022. So not that far from now. I can't believe that that hasn't been canceled, that all of the good countries of the world haven't pulled out yet. They were still acting like that's going to happen. Uh, like, I'm okay with the, the Olympics happening in Japan right now, and uh, I get what you just said, but um, there's no way we can send an Olympic team to China and let them have that platform to show off the the city of Beijing. Yeah, I would think. You know, the original Olympics, the whole idea when it was recreated in the 19th century was that we were going to have, you know, it would be for peace, for world peace, and, and everybody would drop politics and just compete together and, and forget their political differences. But the Olympics is all about politics now. It's just prestige competitions between governments that want to pound themselves on the chest and say how great and bold they are when back home they're throwing their people into concentration camps and forcing them to make wallets for, for uh, uh sale overseas. No, it's just just disgraceful. It should be completely ended. Well, if it makes you feel any better, our U.S. men's basketball team beat Iran by 50 points yesterday. So take that, Iran! (laughs) You Um, know, that does make me feel better. (laughs) Uh, I kind of feel like this is well-trodden ground, but it keeps popping up, and I know it's going to end up in schools around the country. The 1619 Project. You have written eloquently on this. You've spoken uh, forcefully on this. Could you give us kind of a short version for people who don't know of what the 1619 Project is? Because, again, they might be teaching to your schools, in your schools, if your kids are allowed to go back to school this year, which is a different topic. But they might be teaching to your your kids this year. What is it, and what's the the many flaws? 
Well, it's in, in, in this same way that, that critical race theory is, both the 1619 Project is very vague in certain crucial ways. So it's supposed to be about trying to emphasize black history more, to talk about the consequences of slavery more, to talk about the ways in which the uh, discrimination after the Civil War perpetuated uh, racial inequalities and, and, and the heroic stories of the people who triumphed over those, those uh, obstacles. And in that sense, that's great. But then when you start reading the text, you find that it goes further and it makes certain claims about the nature of the United States and says that America was founded on slavery, that what makes America essential is the existence of slavery and that the American Revolution was fought in order to perpetuate slavery and that the Constitution was written in order to protect slavery. And those are all factually false and really dangerous propositions to be teaching children, to tell them that they were and, and remain fundamentally excluded from the American dream. It's contrary, for one thing, it's contrary to the views of those who fought for civil rights just in the 1960s, who insisted, no, black Americans are entitled to participate in the American dream. They have as much legitimate claim to the Declaration and the, and the Constitution as anybody else does. But the 1619 Project's ideology turns that backwards and says, no, this is and always has been a white supremacist nation. And, of course, those white supremacists out there, they applaud that. They say, yeah, right, you know. So I think, <laughs> I think in that sense, 1619 is, it plays into the hands of the white racists who would say that this country was and remains for whites only. Whether it's the 1619 Project or a variety of other things that we're, uh, we're constantly talking about now and, and teaching in schools or, uh, you know, become the hot topic of the day, has, has any nation ever in its history turned so self-hating as the United States has, or at least segments of the United States? I don't know of it. It's really weird. Well, there was the nihilist movement in Russia in about 1900, uh, you know, which set the stage for terrible things that followed. Yeah, I think there there have been times when nations have been this kind of self-critical, but you're right that this goes beyond self-critical. This goes into genuine self-hatred, which tells people that there is no greater purpose to the American dream. And, you know, in fact, and this is, this is what inspired my article was, was uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is the charlatan behind the, the 1619 Project. And charlatan is a perfectly uh, uh, the, the right word to use because they've retracted or she's walked back a whole bunch of different stuff from that Pulitzer Prize winning article. It. Without admitting it, without acknowledging it, they've erased it without saying that they've changed it, which is charlatanism. And when challenged on her historical claims, she resorts to accusing her critics of racism instead of responding to them on the on the merits. So that's the that's the 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 surefire sign of a charlatan. So her she said in in, at one point defending herself, she said, well, this was all about about a, a narrative, about telling a narrative about American history. This isn't supposed to be factual. We're, we're, this is about creating a, a story about America. Well, we all knew that. that, that that's the whole point. And, and what it was is it's an alternative theory of what the American dream is, the alternative to that which is articulated in the Declaration of Independence. That's what it is. is it was an attempt to say the Declaration of Independence is a lie and was written by liars 
and that, in fact, not all men are created equal, and that, in fact, the Constitution's authors did not really mean this. Now, as I said, they're very vague about this, so the, the authors of the project are very vague about this, so then they'll turn around and say, no, no, we're saying that, they, that these were noble ideals, but they didn't really live up to them. But that's a very different thing than saying what they actually say, which is that these ideals were, were false from the beginning, which is a, a, a quotation from the, from the 1619 Project. So it, it, it's vague on purpose in order to allow them to, to make assertions about America being evil. And then when they're called on it to dance back across the line and say, no, no, we're just saying that America was great in theory, but people failed to live up to, to the, the noble ideals. But that's not what they're really doing. For for so many, um, particularly academics in this uh, in this country, and then a lot of the students that they're teaching, the nation we're like a human being that has gone from uh, ignoring all our flaws and being, uh, you know, pompous and a little deluded as to uh, to to uh, you know where we fit in in terms of good and bad. To like all we do now is we're like a person that only emphasizes their failures and walks around saying nobody could ever love me, nobody should ever love me. I'm a bad person. It's just so yeah. weird. That's right. And there's a rhetorical strategy behind this on the part of those who are propagating it, and that is if you want to destroy great ideals, the first thing to do is to destroy idealism outright, uh, or, or to elevate things that are not really ideals to the status of ideals, in order to obscure the desire, the aspiration for truth and goodness. You tell people that there is no such thing as truth and goodness, or that things that are not true and are not good are really true and good in order to confuse them. And that's the strategy. That's the, a similar strategy is at play with, with critical race theory. Critical race theory says that there is systemic racism and that we should pay attention to systemic racism. What, but, but the ambiguity here is what do we mean by system? What system exactly are we talking about? Some, if you're talking about something like, let's say, the drug war, well, you know, there are ways in which the drug war has uh, racist elements to it from its history and, and the way it's enforced and so forth. The way they treated but crack cocaine versus powder cocaine, yeah, it's things like right. that. And we can have that discussion, absolutely. But if what you mean by system is, say, capitalism, then we have a very different story. The capitalism is not inherently racist. Capitalism is the greatest boon ever enjoyed by racial minorities in the history of the species. So it, it's, it's carefully designed to be ambiguous so that when people say systemic, what they mean is the same thing that the hippies meant when they said the establishment in the 1960s. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's the hippies. I like it when you mention the hippies. Uh, Olympics hating Tim Sandifer on the line. Um, so if 1619 Project comes up in your school, like you find out your kids are being taught that, I'll tell you what, Google 1619 Project and Tim Sandifer's name, and you'll come up with some of the stuff that he has written, and you'll have the ammunition you need to fight back against uh, your school board. Now, Tim, if you can hang around for a little bit, I got a couple of questions because you are one of the you are one of America's leading thinkers on freedom, according to George Will of the Washington Post. You're an American treasure. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, vaccines and can the government force us to get a vaccine? Where does that fall in the whole freedom thing? Because I think that's coming down the line here real quickly. Sure. Also, I went to buy ammunition the other day and the roadblocks that are set up for buying ammunition. I'm not exactly sure how the Second Amendment applies to me, at least in the state I live. All that on the way. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Yeah. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jesus, the, blue, the 
Brock leading him, but here comes Romanchuk from Ukraine making a move. Bobby Fink's up there in lane three, making his own move, and the American is passing by everybody. Unbelievable. Fink is going to win gold for the United States in the first ever 800 free in the Olympics. Wow. There you go. Another great win for the United States. Tim Sandifer joins us here on the Armstrong and Getty Show. If you missed Tim's impassioned why he hates the Olympics and it's bad for the world screed, go to the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Thanks for sticking around, Tim. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so a, a lot of people out there haven't gotten the vaccine. I didn't see that coming. I thought we were going to, uh, you know race to figure out a vaccine, come up with a vaccine, figure out how to get it out, and people would go out and get vaccinated. I didn't I didn't really see this coming, that there'd be a pretty big chunk of the country that decided they didn't want to get the vaccine. Now, uh, your, your lefty media really likes to make it all about uh, d- dumb white Trump voters, and, uh, and uh, there are an awful lot of other people that aren't getting uh, the vaccine. Also, 40%, for instance, 40% of New York City's Department of Education employees aren't vaccinated. I doubt many of those were Trump voters, and uh, there there are a lot of examples of that in big cities across the country. And uh, for instance, um, African American men are, uh, as a percentage, they as a group of people aren't getting the vaccination in the highest numbers. So, um, so there's a lot of talk now of forcing people to do it. You're a libertarian, one of the great thinkers in America. Where do you come down on the government forcing people to get vaccinated? Well, the libertarian principle is that it should be up to the property owner whether to require somebody to have the vaccine before going on his property. If I'm a homeowner and somebody's going to come and and have dinner at my house, I have the right to say, you can't come over to my house if you don't have the vaccine. Same thing if I'm a business owner or whatever. So the libertarian answer is that it's a, a question of private property rights. And that leaves people free to decide for themselves whether to get the vaccine and come over to my house or not get the vaccine and not come over to my house. So the 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 problem that we have is that we've reduced the rights of property and business owners so drastically in today's world that people feel like they have to look to the government to tell give them guidance on on questions that ought to be individual choices so um well okay well then back to their does the federal government if if, the, if they're going to start man if the government's going to start mandating this is this a federal government thing a state government thing who's, who's got the power to even do this it should well as with everything having to do with health and safety it's primarily a state matter and and uh, that's another thing where we've diverged so much from what the constitution actually requires by giving so much power to the federal government when in fact this should be a question that decided at the state level so for like my everybody knows who's got kids in school there are a number of shots that you have to get to attend a public school is that a uh, is that a county by county thing that is informed by the federal government or is that a federal mandate uh, under existing law, it's probably a thing where the the uh, the school district gets funding from the feds, and in exchange for that funding, you have to agree to a whole bunch of things. That's the way most federal control has expanded in the in the 20th and early 21st century, is by the feds coming along and saying, "Well, we'll we'll give you this this grant, but you have to agree to follow our ru- our rules if you 
if you receive the grant. And of course, you can't really refuse the grant because that's your tax money. They've taken that money from you already. And they say, we'll give you your tax money back if you agree to these rules. And so, you know, you don't really have a choice about the matter. But that's the way most federal mandates are imposed nowadays. I know how you feel about a lot of the business shutdowns and school shutdowns and everything like that. But as an individual, and you've got, you know, as much bona fides as anybody I know in America in terms of libertarian freedom, you know, I'm my own person, the government can't make me do things, blah, blah, blah. Have you felt like the the line was crossed for you personally on wearing masks or vaccines or anything at any point during this pandemic? Not really, no. But remember that I, I, I reside in Arizona, which had a very different uh, response to, to the pandemic than California did. In California, you have Governor Newsom basically declaring one-man rule. Even though the state legislature is in session now and could make the rules, he decides, no, no, I'm going to make the rules for everybody unilaterally and impose those on everybody. That was very different than the way our state did it, which was uh, our governor asked people to stay home for a while and then asked them to remain safe. And then local governments, counties, have the primary responsibility for setting safety rules for how businesses should operate so i just have two minutes left and this just came up in my uh, own real life and i wanted to ask you about this because you know a lot about the second amendment so i went to buy some ammunition the other day i already own a gun but i wanted to buy bullets and i went to the local big five and at least in the county in the state that i live in the amount of paperwork that they handed me and the number of things that i had to do to just buy some bullets was freaking unbelievable how expensive it is, the paperwork, $93 for the basic background check for buying bullets. Um, I have to find my birth certificate that I've got somewhere in a box or whatever. How does this not violate my Second Amendment right to uh, keep and bear arms? Oh, of course it violates your Second Amendment rights. It's death by a thousand cuts, or, or as they say, being nibbled to death by ducks, right? The, the state bureaucrats <laughs> know perfectly well how to make life difficult for you, and then they can say, well, we're not denying you. We're just saying you have to fill out yet another form, and you have to wait another six months. We at the Goldwater Institute actually have, are suing the state of Illinois for failing to issue people the permits to which they are legally entitled to, ha- to hold firearms, even though state law says that there's a deadline for the state to decide whether to, to give you or deny you the permit. Instead, they just co- completely ignore this deadline and take years sometimes to decide whether or not to give you your firearms permit. Meanwhile, you have dangerous riots in Chicago and people want firearms to protect themselves. And the state says, oh, no, you, you, you have to fill out yet another form and wait another six months. Uh, you know, rely on the police. Even though We you know, are unfortunately out of time, Tim, and I really appreciate everything you had to say today. I'm going to pump your books when we come back. And Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Liberals and members of the squad are demanding President Biden make good on a campaign promise. Cancel student debt on his own. Tick-tock. Pick up the pin. Some progressives hope Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will challenge Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in New York's Democratic primary next year. Schumer is increasingly responding to liberal demand. With a flick of the pen, President Biden could give a fresh start to tens of millions of borrowers drowning in debt. But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says it's not that easy. The president can't do it. Not everybody realizes that, but the president can only postpone, delay, but not forgive. Happy to hear Nancy Pelosi pushing back on the whole student loan cancellation crap because uh, it's such a terrible idea. And I think it's because she realizes politically they would get killed for that. Um, in the long run. So there's a couple of stories that have come out about that uh, recently, studies. 
about canceling student loan debt, which has always seemed crazy to me. And Elizabeth Warren ran on it, and, and uh, Bernie ran on it, and then Joe Biden kind of felt like he had to, you know, at least nod his head toward it. And um, who's the senator from down south who always says uh, uh, fun things? Oh, uh, Kennedy, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana said yesterday, why would we cancel student debt? Why not credit card debt? Which is a good, excellent question. If you're going to cancel, if the idea is that young people out there have a burden of debt and that's why they can't get ahead, why student loan debt any different than credit card debt? And um, anyway, or rent or a whole bunch of different things, car loans, a whole bunch of different things. I think it's all a bad idea. Anyway, let me read a little bit of this uh, for you. This, is, I think, came out of the Wall Street Journal yesterday. The top 20%, if you canceled student loan debt, top 20% get six times more benefits from student debt cancellation than the bottom 20%. Now, your Elizabeth Warrens and your Bernie Sanders are always, you know, it's the millionaires and billionaires and the rich and they're ruining America and they're not paying their fair share and all that sort of stuff. The top 20%, of people out there with student loan debt would get six times the benefit of the bottom 20%, according to a new study that is out there, which is absolutely just amazing. Uh, one in three American, by the way, one in three American adults over the age of 25 actually has a bachelor's degree. Only one in three. This population naturally holds almost all of the student debt, yet college graduates typically make 85% more than those with only a high school diploma and earn only roughly one million more over a lifetime. That's how you get to those numbers we were just talking about. So it's a small percentage of the uh, the country that gets a bachelor's degree, and those people make way more money. I understand that it sucks if you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt for getting your college education, but I'm not. I can't come up with any reason why the uh, the people out there who decided not to get uh, that college education, or certainly people who paid their way should be paying for your student loan. Any government policy that forces taxpayers to pay off loans held by a relatively well-off slice of society is actually regressive, meaning it disproportionately helps the wealthy. You don't have to take our word for it. This is a finding uh, of a study of the University of Chicago, and it goes into more numbers on that. This would be the least progressive thing that progressives have ever done if they pay off student loan debt. And I think as more of these studies bubble up, I think... Nancy Pelosi wasn't just trying to point out um, the reality that the president doesn't have the ability to uh, to tackle this problem. I think she's just trying to push back against the idea of it in general, because I think she realizes this would be a loser at the ballot box. If Republicans got out there and got to talk to working class people all across the country and tell them, look, you're paying off. Well, here, I'll do this Babylon B fake story. Do you know what the Babylon B is? It's it's like the onion, only it tends to be more conservative than the onion. Um, uh, and and it's, it's all fake news stories, and they're usually pretty funny. And this one is also uh, the headline being, Hardworking plumber looking forward to paying for his neighbor's gender studies degree. With Democrats proposing the mass cancellation of student debt, successful Americans around the country are really looking forward to paying taxes to relieve the debt of people who purchased expensive yet useless college degrees. One local plumbing contractor, Sam Cawhorn, is really looking forward to paying the tab on his neighbor's $89,000 gender studies degree. 
Listen, I'm just a pump plumber, he said. I didn't go to college, but I work hard and support my family. I don't know about highfalutin gender stuff that they teach in college, but I'm sure it must be important since it's so expensive. Happy to help out another person in need. <laughs> and it goes on to say in the Babylon Bee, according to studies, there are millions of white girls working at coffee shops across the country while struggling under the crushing student debt they acquired by irresponsibly attaining college degrees that gave them no marketable job skills. Benevolent politicians have proposed transferring all the wealth from trade workers and minority business owners to help indebted white girls with their student loans that they so that they can still afford their daily latte and cat food expenses. Nancy Pelosi, I think, has some polling and just has the political sense to realize that is the way. Well, not only is the way that would be portrayed by Republicans across this country, it's the reality of what is actually going to happen if you forgive student loan debt. And it would just be an absolute loser for Democrats who, at least in the past, this is changing rapidly, but at least in the past has been the party of the working man. And no way you can pitch that to uh, to, to working people out there. This, this is going to be interesting to watch in the coming days and weeks because Joe Biden's going to have to make a decision. And is he going to back out of some of those promises that he made about forgiving student loan debt? We'll see. Um, I got a little more on trying to buy bullets. I just talked to Tim Sandifer about that and how they're violating my Second Amendment rights in the county and state that I live in. But first, I want to tell you about Simply Safe because that is the reason I'm buying bullets, right? I've got a gun. I need bullets. And I need a home security system just like you do because crime is up. Look, it just is. The message is being sent. Defund the police. Uh, you can steal up to this much, and we're not going to prosecute you. So people are getting home security systems, and you want to get the best. And all kinds of organizations that look into home security systems have named Simply Safe the best. Simply Safe is far from the most expensive and is definitely the easiest to use and order. You go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. You click around for a couple of minutes to customize the system for your home. Then it's going to come to you in the mail in about a week. You get it, and you set it up yourself in 30 minutes. How great is that? And as soon as it's set up, you're going to have help available during a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or just when you're setting up the system. So go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong today, customize your system, get a free security camera, and you also get a 60-day risk-free trial. There's nothing to lose when you try Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Oh, and I forgot to mention, so we had Tim Sandifer on, um, and uh, it was nice of him to come on for a full half hour, so I want to mention some of his books that he's got out there. You could go to Amazon.com and type in his name, and these will all show up. But some of our favorites, The Permission Society that he wrote back in 2016, absolutely fantastic book about how we have become a society where you have to ask for permission from the government for practically anything. Um, his Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, fantastic book. And... Um, Conscience of the Constitution. I've got that one next to my bed. Go to uh, just go to Amazon. Look for Tim Sandifer and uh, buy some of his books. Appreciate him coming on today. And I just asked him a little bit ago about uh, me trying to buy bullets. So I was at a big five sporting goods store. Now this is going to seem hilarious to some of you in other states. And I got to admit, I'm not being a very good ambassador for the state of California. <laughs> uh, when I tell these stories, and uh, people are leaving California by the droves. And when you hear these kind of stories, it's not going to make you and other states want to move to California, because I realize you just walk in and say, I know this because it used to be this way even in California. Just walk in and say, I, I'd like a box of those uh, three fifty seven Magnum bullets. Yeah, yeah, and make it two boxes. 
And then they would say, all right, that'll be $40, and you'd pay them and walk out. Well, no more. I went into the Big Five the other day, and I have to go through a background check? Even though I'm already a, I've already owned the gun, I have to go through a background check, and filling that out is $93, and then there's a bunch of other fees that are smaller, but it adds up to well over 100 some dollars of things I have to fill out. I have to come up with a DROS number uh, when I get my background check back. I need to have my birth certificate or my passport, which I don't know where those are, but I'll have to find them, and take those in to fill out the paperwork. Then I will get something else, a different piece of paper that's I have to create a CFARS account with my background check information that I get whenever I get it. That'll take 24 hours to 10 days to get the background check back. And then they said the actual CRFARS account, whatever the hell that is, and I might have them backwards, but it doesn't make any difference. We'll get, we'll come back to me, they said, in three days to three months. So it could be three months before the paperwork goes through for me to buy a box of bullets. How freaking amazing is that? In what sense do you have a Second Amendment right when you go into a store? And, and like uh, Tim said, the goal here is to make it so difficult and complicated that you just say, ah, screw it. That's what they're hoping, and to a certain extent, it works. I've got one box of bullets. I don't know when I'll get around to filling out uh, that I bought years ago. I don't know when I'll get around to filling out all this paperwork and paying the fee and uh, all that sort of stuff to buy another one. They just make it so difficult, they're hoping that you'll say, ah, screw it and give up. Really uncool, dude. This will be challenged at some point a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. This will be challenged. It'll go up the courts. The courts will say, absolutely not. You can't do that. And it will get, uh, you know, shot down. But it'll take a while as they deny you your Second Amendment rights. Really, really, really maddening. Um, I had something else I wanted to get into. Blah, blah, blah. Let me look it up here on my phone. Um, Oh, op-ed in the New York Times. There's no good reason you should have to be a citizen to vote. Some of the arguments on that, trying to make the argument that illegal aliens, and then they're somewhere between 13 and 20 million Illegal immigrants in this country should have the right to vote. Absolutely fantastic from the New York Times. Thank you for that. Some more Olympic highlights as we're having a huge uh, day. It actually happened overnight, but winning lots of medals, particularly in swimming. The all-around women's gymnastics gold medal goes to an American again, even with Simone Biles out, which is really cool. We'll give you an update on that coming back. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrity Devs, so that's a little ZZ Top we're playing right now as the bass player from ZZ Top. Frank Hill? Is that his name? Dusty, Dusty Hill. Hill. Yeah, I'm sorry. Dusty Hill, yeah. A lot of out of my mind. Dusty Hill, bass player from ZZ Top, bad. He was in his 70s and he passed away. And this man, uh, whether you knew his name or not, and if you're of a certain age, you heard him in your home coming out of your TV speaker for years and years and years, died yesterday at the age of 86. 
Introducing Popeil's amazing Vegematic 2. New improved cutting rings make food cutting easier than ever. Saves you time by slicing whole potatoes in only one stroke. Turns whole onions into zesty thin slices for delicious hamburgers. Turn the dial. Slices are automatically thicker. Okay, dial so that's from... the Vegematic. That's Ron Popeil, who died yesterday at the age of 86. I didn't realize he invented a lot of these things. Let's hear the, the pocket fisherman. That's a, That was a big one when I was a kid. It's the fishing invention of the century. There's never been anything like it. Popeil's Pocket Fisherman. Men, women, youngsters can cast almost like experts the very first time. Small enough to fit in glove compartment, backpack, any travel bag, or even in your pocket. And Pocket Fisherman's handle is its own mini tackle box. Flip up the special DuPont nylon rod and you're ready to fish anytime. Fantastic. So the Pocket Fisherman also, Mr. Microphone was a big one. Hey, this Christmas party is getting a little too quiet. I think it's time we liven it up with my favorite Christmas gift, Mr. Microphone. Hey, what's that? Well, you set the dial on your FM radio and... Testing, testing, testing. These kids are having a fabulous time with Mr. Microphone, the cordless microphone that actually puts your voice on the radio. There are no attaching wires, so you're free to move around. <laughs> broadcast over any FM car radio. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. You can broadcast the mono or with your radios in stereo. Professional entertainers use Mr. Microphone for rehearsing. Oh, boy. It's practical and great fun for the whole family. And for only twelve eighty eight, they really make great Christmas gifts. So Ron Popeil, who died yesterday, and uh, all the, so many different things, the Chopomatic, uh, he invented some of these. He he invented the whole, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you the greatest kitchen appliance ever made. All your onions chopped to perfection without shedding a single te- tear, or slice a tomato so thin it only has one side. He was the inventor. Of, but wait, there's more. You know, that whole thing. The Mr. Microphone commercial. I remember my brother and I mocking that as kids with a, hey, good looking, we'll be back to pick you up later, which is really kind of creepy, stalker, abductee-ish. <laughs> I, I don't think that would have flied in the Me Too era. Oh, boy. Uh, but he um he was behind Ronco, the company that made a lot of these stuff. Uh, helping Ronco's houseware sales exceed $1 billion in profits. I got to assume if he got much of a cut of that at all, that Ron Popeil was pretty, pretty damned wealthy. Um, he's also known for his giant dehydrator, his beef jerky machine, his electric pasta maker, his Showtime rotisserie and barbecue. Um, that sold over 8 million units in the United States alone. So, yeah, I'm thinking he did pretty well for himself. Um, but wait, there's more often mocked on Saturday Night Live and other uh, comedy sketch programs. What an interesting thing to become famous for. Hey, good looking. Be back to pick you up later. The Mr. Microphone. Uh, So we had a pretty great win in the Olympics. That is kind of exciting. Uh, You know how Simone Biles, um, the world's greatest gymnast, she was called. I'm not so sure. Do you still get to call her that? Do you still call her that? Anyway, she stepped down for uh, mental, emotional reasons, and then uh, the woman, the girl, I guess she's a woman, she's 18 years old, who took her spot, uh, stepped up to the plate and won the gold medal for individual, all-around women's gymnastics. Sunissa Lee is the gold medal winner. Congratulations, her, and that is really fantastic. Apparently, we have a a clip from that. Okay, cool. (laughs) Again. 
just another day at the office for SUNY Lee, as cool and calm as you can get, and she will be in the mix. So, yeah, she ended up winning, and um, the Simone Biles story goes on. So, uh, I don't know what side of this you are on where you think it was so brave of her to talk about her mental health issues. Uh, as the USA Today put it yesterday, the, she won the gold medal for bravery in coming out and saying she had these issues and, and stepping back and blah, blah, blah. Or uh, you're on the other side where you uh, you think uh, she's just, a, it was weak. It was a weak performance and she let down her team. Simone Biles was abandoned by American Olympic officials and the torment hasn't stopped. This is from Sally Jenkins, who we actually had on yesterday on a different topic uh, from the Washington Post today. The trouble with the phrase mental health is that it's an abstraction that allows you to sail straight over what happened to Simone Biles and, in a way, to what is still happening to her. To this day, American Olympic officials continue to betray her. They deny that they had a legal duty to protect her and others from the rapist child pornographer Larry Nasser, and they continue to evade accountability and judicial maneuvering. Abuse is a current event for her. And uh, so she's tying some of the criticism over um, Ms. Biles into uh, the sexual abuse that she underwent from this predator scumbag doctor that they had uh, who's going to go to prison for the rest of his life. Now, I brought this up earlier in the week, and Joe and I were talking about it. Had anybody tied those two things together? Has she talked about it at all? I haven't seen that she tied those two things together. But I wondered if the combination cuz he's been in the news nasser the doctor that was abusing all these gymnasts he's been in the news in the last couple of weeks if she follows social media and all that sort of stuff at all she's probably come across his name at that you know that that's a heck of a thing i've known people who suffered sexual abuse it's a big deal and that could have been a lot of the reason why her head was all over the place in a mess and she couldn't compete so I'm not quite as quick as some of my uh, my my friends in uh, conservative radio to jump on her as being weak or a loser or letting down her team or, or all that because the the gymnastics world let her and a whole bunch of other women down by allowing this scumbag rapist to uh, continue to abuse them abuse those those little girls for years even though they knew it was happening they covered it up because they wanted to win the medal so. I don't know. I would like a little more information on exactly what was bothering her, and I have a feeling she'll be doing interviews in the coming days or years about that. But, um, yeah, interesting angle on that. That Nasser uh, gentleman should burn in hell for what he did to all those women, and they'll be they'll be thinking about him for, for the rest of their lives. And, uh, well, again, I'm not quite so quick to judge. We've got more coming up next hour, including very excited about this. One of my favorite people, James Lindsay, one of the experts on critical race theory. We're going to get into a good conversation with him. I hope you can stick around. Armstrong and Getty.